My name is Bonnie Shore, and I'm going to be your moderator for today. These calls are a part of a series that we've been running for a couple of years now, and they're brought to us with a huge thanks to the folks from the Orton Family Foundation as a way to connect really great people and great ideas across the country. Uh, what I'll ask you to do um, as the very first step as you join the call is to make sure that you place yourself on mute. We're expecting about 100 people to join us, and so we do ask that everyone put themselves on mute so that we're not picking up a whole lot of background noise. So uh, if you can hear me right now, please just check that your phone is on mute because I can hear a bunch of background noise from people. So please um, just make sure that you have put yourself on mute so that we can give each of our speakers a, a great platform to to chat and we're not we're not drowning each other out with static. So today we're talking about engaging diversity. And uh, there's a great blog post on the Community Matters website that starts off with the following. Would you loan your favorite bookstore money to keep it from closing? Or pay $1,000 for months of cafe fare before the cafe even opens for business? Would you spend your Saturday painting walls so that a restaurant in your neighborhood could expand its seating? Cash is tight and small business ownership is risky, but community-supported enterprises offer one way for communities to offer help and creative financing to get small businesses off the ground or keep them open. So today we're going to have a, a very uh, engaging and interesting conversation, and we're joined by Stacey Admonson, teacher at Cody Kilgore Unified School and co-founder of the Circle C Market. And we're also joined by Paul Brune, Executive Director of the Preservation Trust of Vermont. And we're looking forward to a really engaging and energizing conversation with the two of them. But before we get started, I just wanted to go over the ground rules for the call. So as I mentioned to start with, we ask that you put yourselves on mute when you're not speaking. Um, so common courtesy, just to make sure that we're not drowning each other out. We have a lot of people on the call, and it's really important that we, uh, we all stick to that rule. We also have a Google Doc available where you can take notes and add case studies and ask questions. And a lot of you have already sent through some great questions, and you'll find them in the Google Doc, along with a whole lot of great links to case studies and interesting uh, resources that you can access. What we do during these calls is uh, take collaborative notes. So while our speakers are, are sharing some of their stories and we're, we're having a great chat, you have the opportunity to type notes as they're talking or share your own case studies and links. Um, so please do throw as much into that document as you can. Um, there's also a place where you can ask additional questions. So we have a spot in the document where you can type in your question. What I ask that you do is put your name at the end of it so that I can call on you. And if I do that, you can take yourself off mute, ask your question, and then join in the conversation. So we really do try and make this quite informal and chatty. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be a conversation, not a lecture. Uh, so if you're ready, uh, let's hold on to your hats and uh, keep this thing up. So uh, we're going to get started with some short introductions from our speakers today and then open up for questions. And then we usually finish with a couple of ways for you to take immediate action on the great uh, information that you've heard. So without further ado, I will hand over to Stacey to get us started. Take it, up, take it away. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words. And I just really appreciate this opportunity to learn from Paul and learn from um, – I'm going to be a monthly call person now. I didn't even know this existed, so I'm going to be tuning in every month from now on. My name is Stacy Adamson. I am from the town of Cody, Nebraska. I don't know how many of you got to see the video. We were very honored and blessed. Nebraska Loves Public Schools came out and did a, a video clip on our project that has helped us get a lot of PR. So if you haven't seen that clip, I really recommend it. The clip kind of shows what our building is um, – it's a straw bale building, how it's being built. It also shows our remoteness. It also shows that, um, you know, if we're, we're just darn near as rural as you're going to get. I mean, I think we just um, got high-speed Internet here about five years ago. So if it can happen in Cody, Nebraska, it can darn sure happen um, wherever you are with whatever it is you want to do. Our story is about four, no, five years ago, I was, I'm a school teacher. I was placed on a PR. We had a teacher in-service day. I was placed on a PR committee, and our job was to discuss how we could promote our school 
Um, as most of rural America, our numbers are dwindling, our population is going down, it's an elderly population, people are moving away and not coming back. They are not not coming back because they don't want to. Many of our graduates want to come back to this area, but um, for a variety of reasons, you know, like I said, maybe the technology hasn't been with us as long as it's been in other parts of the world. Another thing is, you know, they might have grown up here and loved it, but to bring a spouse back to somewhere this remote, um, maybe the spouse isn't that interested in living um, in the middle of nowhere. However, so we were on this PR committee, and we were brainstorming ideas to promote our school, promote our town, make more people want to join us. We have phenomenal test scores. You know, we are in, like, the top 20% of all of Nebraska, even though we're a very small school. Um, so everything, you know, all the reasons for people to come here, we just had to get the word out. So I was on this PR committee, and we were brainstorming what could we do. We could start a newspaper. We could do this. We could do that. Well, I had spoken with several families that live in remote areas and have to decide where to take their kids to school, and the number one thing I heard back was, I can't imagine going somewhere where there's no grocery store. When you live in an area, you just get used to a lack of convenience, but when you look at it with fresh eyes, I really realized what a hindrance a lack of a grocery store was, and this town had been without a grocery store at that time for eight or nine years. So what started as a kind of a joke, yeah, we could start a grocery store, all of a sudden just just lit a fire in my mind, and, and the number one thing was I was on the PR committee, and I remember reading an article in People magazine on another small rural Nebraska town, Arthur, Nebraska, that started a student-run grocery store. And I thought, oh, my goodness, well, if Arthur did it, we can do it. And and talk about PR, there's not much more PR than People Magazine, for crying out loud. So I jumped up and I went to the phone and I called the nice people in Arthur, Nebraska, who've been phenomenally helpful in helping us get this idea off the ground. They got us in touch with um, the Center for Rural Affairs, which is a Nebraska nonprofit um, that just helps grow rural America. They helped us write our first grants. Uh, we, they, I called them on the phone. I said, this is what we're interested in doing. And they said, there's a grant. I, and, and keep in mind, I'm a teacher. I'm a ranch wife. I have never in my life dealt with a grant. And I said, I wouldn't even know where to start. And they said, well, we will help you with the grant if you do the legwork. Here's, and they just gave uh, Tracy Ford and I, Tracy's the gal that's worked hand-in-hand hand with me on this, they just gave us jobs and we just went and did it. First they said, you have to get $10,000 worth of pledges. You don't have to go get $10,000, but you have to have that much money pledged to the store, and you have seven days. So we just got on the phone and started talking to the students and, and got them excited about it. And and there's a whole lot more to the story, but I guess I was just supposed to give you an idea of how this got started. Also, some of the challenges we ran into along the way. We found a piece of property that we really wanted to put the store on because it's on the highway and we are going to need highway traffic um, to be profitable to make this work as a business. And it belonged to Nebraska Game and Parks. And Nebraska Game and Parks said no, and they thought that was that. But they didn't know who they said no to. And, and you know, I made up a beautiful flyer and we sent it to county commissioners. We sent it to our state representatives. We sent it to Washington representatives. We sent it to the um, governor, and not one of those people could help, but all those people offered their support. It got our project out there, and finally I found one person who knew someone who knew someone who could pull a string, who could get us an appointment, so I took a van full of students down to Nebraska Game and Parks. We presented our um, we presented our project, and, and they they came to the table and, and really, really gave us a boost and, and let us have a 99-year lease on the land, and you know, there's all kinds of ins and outs I can talk about, but that's just a little bit of background um, on how this project got started. And I would just say to anyone listening, I guess my message, the reason I'm willing to be on this call and, and encourage you to do something in your community is why not you? You know, the, the secret to millionaires, every millionaire will tell you their secret was find a need and fill it. Well, we found a need. There's a need for a grocery store in Cody, Nebraska. And why not? 
why not be the one that went and got it done? And it was not easy. That's part of my message here today. This, Whatever you're embarking on, if it's something great, it will not be easy. And people will not, not every single person will support you. Not, there are still people in Cody, Nebraska. We're hoping to open in March. There are still people in Cody, Nebraska saying this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I can either be negative and angry towards them and hinder the project, or um, a saying I heard once upon a time that I that I just I don't know it just stuck with me is love them where they are see them where they will be so I just smile and nod and visualize them shopping in that store and um, you know I I have very uh, I have a passion for education outside of the textbook this ties right into that so not only is it community development is a it is an extreme blessing for the kids. A, gifted and talented kids can go down there and be really challenged, and kids who really just don't like school can go down there and have a break from regular school and do more real-world learning. So there's every reason in the world to do this. There's every reason in the world for this to be a great project. There are still people that think it's dumb, and that's okay. That's my message is, you know what, you just go do the work, and um, and the good results will follow. And that's all I have to say right now. <laughs> Thanks, Stacey. That is an excellent introduction, and I think you've made it absolutely crystal clear why you were the wrong person to say no to. <laughs> uh, the uh, the next speaker we've got on today's call is Paul Burns. Paul, do you want to give us an intro? Great. Um, it's a great story, Stacey. Um, you're terrific. Um, my name is Paul Brun. I'm Executive Director of the Preservation Trust of Vermont. And on both days, I have the best job in Vermont because we get to work with lots of great communities and community boosters um, and supporters around around the state. We mostly are interested in historic buildings. Uh, we uh, try to help communities um, and community organizations save and use uh, important historic buildings in their communities. Uh, and as part of that, um, we um, do a lot of work in downtowns and village centers. And as time has gone on over the over the 32-year history of our organization, it's become clearer and clearer that there are some essential businesses that are really important to the success of small villages and smaller um, smaller downtowns, in, in particular. And they tend to be um, third places. Um, we have um, in our lives our homes and our workplace, and then we have these third places where we connect with other people in the community and learn about what's going on and um, get to meet others, um, appreciate the work that they're doing in the community. Uh, and these are sometimes very tough as businesses, um, whether it's a village store or a small restaurant or cafe or bookstore. These are very challenging uh, businesses to run in today's um, economic climate. So we started um, thinking about um, how to mix charitable capital and community investment and entrepreneurship and um, to uh, bring all of those approaches to starting uh, businesses. And I'll maybe talk about one in particular uh, that has been a very successful um, effort in Hardwick, Vermont. Uh, for many years, uh, downtown Hardwick um, had um, kind of bumped along. They didn't have a great restaurant and pub in um, in their downtown. And um, there were lots of people in that community who really felt like it was a, um, it was a very big missing piece in their downtown and was going to be was really the key to the, their success and vibrancy. So they uh, started on an effort to see if they could pull together uh, a, a restaurant. And first they had a chef and no place, and then they had a place and no chef. And finally things came together um, five years 
um, roughly five years ago. And they, um, there were two, two groups. One group was the group that invested in the real estate and prepaid the lease for the restaurant for 12 years and paid for all of the furnishings of the restaurant. And then there was a second group that was the restaurant operating group. They sold shares, quote unquote shares, uh, to the restaurant where People paid a thousand dollars, and then um, are able to eat their way through those um, the, eat their way through those shares over a four-year period. Um, in addition, there were ten um, investors in the community who put in fifty or uh, five thousand dollars apiece for a total of fifty thousand. And all of that in combination gave them a hundred thousand um, dollars in working capital for the restaurant. And from the community standpoint, they know there's going to be a restaurant there for the, at least these 12 years. Um, they uh, And from the restaurant operating group standpoint, they were able to get into business without the normal debt um, that most restaurants uh, go into um, in their startup phase. It's been a big success. Uh, and we can chat about some other examples as well as we go on this afternoon. Thanks, Paul. That's a really inspiring story um, and some really great detail in there, I think, for people that are thinking about starting up their own ventures. So with with those two introductions, I want to move into some of the questions. And people on the call have submitted some really great questions already. Um, we're going to start in the Google Doc with the starting the conversation um, and I think the, the first question that we'll, we'll throw out here is, Stacey, I think you might want to um, handle this one first. The question from Kathy Kostakis. Kathy, are you on the line? She must be on mute. <laughs> she followed she your instructions. I, uh, I'll, I'll read it out, and Kathy, if you are, if you are on the line, please do feel free to take yourself off mute and, and join in. But her question is, what is your advice on how best to start the conversation about this in a small rural town? Um, and I think, um, Stacey and, and then Paul, if if you can maybe talk to um, the different parties that you might need to get engaged. Uh, we have another question um, in this section here around engaging um, realtors and building owners. Um, and so I imagine there are several different groups that you need to get engaged uh, when you start a conversation about this. Stacey, can you give us some insight? Well, I, I can, you know, I Paul would be a better person probably for this as far as all the people that need to come to the table. I just have this one experience, and he has a lot more experiences. But what I would say in a small town, and I noticed that she's from Montana, which is going to be similar to Nebraska, which might be different from Vermont, I don't know, but... People are watching your every move, and people are willing to talk about your every move. And my message would be you just need to get, if you truly have found a need that needs filled, you need to get passionate about that and excited about that and just talk about it. And if someone is shutting you down or not in the mood to hear about it, be classy and still talk to them about what they're interested in. Still, But, you know, don't. Don't go down to the negative. Don't get dug down in why it wouldn't work. Just be, you know, thanks for your insight. I really appreciate that. And then quickly move on. And find those key players. You know, Stacey Adamson did not do this project. This is an enormous project that took the passion of the students. It took the passion of Stacey and Tracy. It took the um, vision of John Johnson, who's the chairman of the village board, who when our, you know, our initial grant, we went and spoke with a, um, gentleman who owns a store, uh, it's actually a gas station in town. He's got a bunch of empty space where a diner used to be. He said we could move in there. We had all the plans made. And then kind of, um, you know, not last minute, but a little last minute, he said he'd really changed his mind. He felt bad about it. He'd really changed his mind, and he just didn't want to deal with the students in and out and the student business there. Now, I had a, Tracy and I had a choice right there. We could have been offended. We could have been snotty. We could have made him feel bad. That is not a good practice anywhere, but it's darn sure not a good practice in a small town. I need him to 
I need his support no matter where we put this. So we just bent over backwards to make sure he didn't feel bad about that and to to thank him for being honest so we didn't get into it and then have hard feelings down the road. And then John Johnson stepped forward as the chairman of the village board, and he said, I will apply for a grant, and I will try to get you a building. And so, you know, he wrote the grant and did the legwork on building us a straw bale building. A straw bale building is a, is a wonderful, right now it's green, you know, it's got all the PR going for it. It's got all the reasons to do it. It also goes up like an old-fashioned barn raising. It takes everybody. It takes volunteers to come help us build our building. So I don't know if I answered that correctly, but I guess my message is start, just get excited about something. Start talking about it to people. And if someone is not receiving your message, that's okay. That's okay. But go find the next person who will and build a team of people and look for people. I'm not great at book work. I'm the idea and the fun and the PR and the talk and get people motivated. You know, I purposely went and found an accountant and asked her, you know, she has small children, shopping in town. I, I painted a picture why this would be so great for the town, why this would be so great for her kids as an educational opportunity. And then I just boldly said, would you come on board and help us and would you – would you do your accounting for free? We called a lawyer who had graduated from here, and we said, would you do your legal work for free? So, like, it's it's kind of like you have to put one foot in front of the other, and then the next step becomes obvious, and then you go find someone who will help you with that next step. You don't have to know everything that's going to happen. You don't have to line up everything ahead of time is what I'm saying. The steps will become obvious, and as long as you're doing it with joy in your heart and pure intentions and you're being you're being pleasant and you're just smiling when you know people are talking bad about your project behind your back. You do not go there and you just build a team of people, A, with your, it's going to take a team, B, find people who have your weaknesses as their strengths and um, and just take one step at a time and it will become obvious. Fantastic. I, uh, I think my big takeaway in that is keep it classy. <laughs> keep it classy. So, uh, Paul, can you, can you add a little maybe from your perspective of the, the different groups of people that, that you might need to bring to the table uh, or that you have brought to the table when you've done a venture like this? Well, um, I guess I'd like to emphasize a couple of things that, you know, really uh, focusing on the need and trying to figure out whether it's a need that only you have um, identified or whether there is a real cross-section of people in the community that have the same sense of absence um, that's been created by this, whatever it is, a village store or a restaurant or a cafe or a bookstore, um, really developing that need and developing the um, folks in the community, a group of folks in the community who have that same appreciation for the need. Lots of passion is um, is obviously really important, and it also takes um, a, some real leadership from a handful of people who are really willing to dig in and work really, really hard and stay, as Stacy said, stay positive. Stay enthusiastic, um, even in the face of a lot of work. Um, there are lots of ups and downs with these efforts. Um, you'll uh, be um, on a roll for a period of time, and then you'll there'll be a setback at some point, and it um, can get pretty frustrating. But, so you need the leadership to um, to stick with it and be willing to um, get through those those tougher times. Um, raising money is um, is not always easy, uh, and um, these things all require um, a significant amount of um, financial resources. And uh, so that's another piece to be prepared, that these things will take longer than you think sometimes. Um, you know, the folks in Hardwick, for example, went through a four-year period uh, where not much was happening. They started, um, they had a fabulous um, community meeting at the local bookstore, 
60 people showed up um, and were uh, clearly very excited about um, helping to start up, uh, do the restaurant start up in town. But things didn't fall into place for more than four years. So you need a lot of fictuativeness um, as, as, a, as a part of this. Can I can I agree with Paul there when he said that we're on year five, well, four and a half, so we're approaching year five, and there have been times when it flat did not look like it was going to happen, and all of us are volunteers. We've put a tremendous amount of time and effort into a volunteer. You know, this is different because it's a community project, and so not one person is going to benefit, but he said something really key, that, that you better go into this expecting I mean, you expect, I expect, I've always known this was going to open, and I also knew nothing great comes easy. So there were going to be ups and downs. But a key part of building that team is sometimes when I would just get really discouraged and kind of tired of it, it just so happened to be a time when John and Tracy, you know, had talked to someone or had a new idea or they were really excited. So having a team of committed volunteers not only can you go into it, you know, as a team, everybody, you're stronger together, but also when you're down, they're up. So that that helps also. It's also important to have fun through the whole process. Yes, sir. Lots of fun. And, and celebrate a little bit um, as you pass the milestones, as you go down your path. Um, this can be awfully serious work and, and draining, and it's important to enjoy the folks that you're working with and, and have some fun. Yes, and it's also important to, you know, as from a teacher's perspective, what we try to be and what we try to model and what we try to get our, te- our kids to be are lifelong learners. Learning doesn't stop when the bell rings. Learning doesn't stop when you graduate. So I really embarked upon this. You know, I've worked lots of different jobs in my life, but I've never started essentially a nonprofit and I've never worked in a grocery store. So just what Paul said, we went to the Governor's Conference on Rural Development. We went to, you know, different things, the Rural Grocery Store Summit. We sent a kid here. We sent a kid there. And so we really approached this not only as something we needed to do, but what a fabulous opportunity to learn something brand new. And learning energizes you. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. So uh, I want to throw out to the... um, the questions again here. Um, there's a there's someone that's been very active. Tammy Delaney, are you still on the line? Oh yeah. Tammy, Can you hear me? If you yeah, thanks for, okay. thanks for joining us. It sounds like you've got a, a lot of great insight uh, from a project that you've been working on. From all of six days. All of yeah. six days being open. Um, <laughs> well, I, I have some insight, but I, I also have some questions. Of I tend to be a risk taker, and one thing our community lost, what, three years ago was a coffee house in a small town of 1,800 people. And so having run a feed and tax store that was just miserably not what I really wanted to be doing and not going towards the future of where I saw our community needed to go, we finally just let go and said we need to radically transform, and last year over um, here in the tech store, over coffee, three different events for the summer would just form. And I'm going, man, if, if we can get those kind of community things happening over a coffee that is not intentionally a coffee shop, what happens when you change something into a coffee house? So we did go this route, um, starting with, uh, because of three years of disastrous, business, horrendous credit, and um, no capital going, we need to change this. So it was actually Betsy Rosenbluth that said, oh, community-supported enterprise. And I really only talked to one individual on it, um, but was so enthused by that, we gave it a whirl and did get some seed funding through 16 members. Yet now that we're open, we feel like there is a huge potential for really better promoting, marketing, getting that. Um, to get open, we've had to lean on one individual who she's also a coffee house member but wants to see this succeed, but her premise is going, you know, I think we can get these memberships to be able to pay this loan back 
within six months, and I, I think it's such a small amount that that's totally feasible. But my challenge right now is going, it doesn't seem, maybe it's my ignorancy of going, what entities are in place there that could actually help coordinate or, you know, you call the small business development centers, and it's not like there's a lot of models through that or SCORE or other places to go. These are the forms that really work well. This is the confirmation letter that really works well. This is an agreement that you can have with your members. I just kind of winged it, and um, fortunately, I know and trust and love the people that are our members, and I think it's a vice versa, but I feel like to expand this on a large level, I, I need to get some more formalities in place. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, maybe um, through the, the work that you've done, do you have a, a couple of examples or know of a case of resources that have templates or best yeah. practices for creating agreements? Best practices. Like Thank you. Because I, I jumped in the pool full full force, not even knowing if how deep it was. You know. Well, and I I actually think that's what most people do, and um, you know, there's no real cookie cutter uh, approach to these things, and people kind of invent their own approach um, with uh, the mix of charitable capital and community support. Um, and entrepreneurship, some of them are heavier on one um, of those things um, than the others. Um, the I guess there's two things that we might say about small de- uh, business development centers. Um, they, um, or at least some folks um, who work for those centers, are you know, very focused on the normal for-profit business. And they have, they're, they kind of look at you like, you want to do what? You want to raise charitable money to uh-huh. start this uh, business? Are you crazy? <laughs> and who is going to, um, who is going to support that? Um, on the other hand, there is, um, with all of these things, um, there's, community-supported enterprise model is not a substitute for a good business plan. Right. And so I think it's probably important to use some of those resources, like the Small Business Development Center, um, to help develop a really good business plan, but um, maybe um, – Think about your own way of how you're going to get this financed and structured and put into place um, using tools and approaches that the small business development center might not even think are reasonable. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, and that's, you know, it's interesting because the business plan we did, we did kind of before venturing into the CS. Community supported coffee is what I call it, um, <laughs> aspect. And we've kind of gone back there and gone, huh, how do we plug this in? And, uh, and I think you've hit the nail on the head because I don't think this model can work entirely just on community support. It's going to take a couple individuals or private or, you know, going through some other lending mechanism to at least get, um, up off the floor and crawling, if not walking. Um, yet the other thing I would say to people on the call, if you're, you know, sitting there for two years, should I do this or should I not? I, I think you got to just sometimes plunge into it. And if it's a valid and if you've listened and heard and really understand the community's need and it fits, it, this is a phenomenal way to not only um, embark on it, but suddenly have a captive audience of people who are really enthused as well, and then they bring in their friends and so on and so forth. That uh, that touches on a question from Leanne Tingay from Vermont. Leanne, are you on the line? I'm sorry if I just butchered your last name. Hi, yes, I am. Oh great! Um, you were asking about feasibility studies. Do you want to do you want to ask that in a bit more detail to to Paul and Stacey? Sure. I, I think um, I I coordinate the Vermont Downtown Program, which is our state Main Street program, and many of our downtowns 
because of the success of Claire's and several others that Preservation Trust, one of our partners um, in in this work, have you know been successful with, um, these kinds of questions come up. They want to know, all right, you know, kind of what's been the conversation here? What are the first steps? And should we look at doing this? And I think, you know, my my response to most of them is just like what Paul was pointing out. You do the things you need to do to be a good business. You're going to look to see, is there a market for this? Do we have our product or whatever it is that we're trying to raise money in a business manner for? Um, do we have a price pointed? Do we know, you know, all the things that a feasibility study would, would go through? But I'm not sure, you know, wondering with all the other callers on the line, what their experience has been. You know, is it something where you go by gut or or is it something that indeed you're going to um, be a bit more um, cautious and, and do your homework on? I think that it's a com- – I, I totally agree. I think it's a combination and I think that in regard to the last caller, you would be amazed at how many resources are out there. You know, you need to um, pull in people that will volunteer and help, and they are, they are out there. For instance, the more we got our story out, the more PR we got, the more volunteers we got. And speaking of the feasibility study, mm-hmm. I don't know how they heard about us, but University of Nebraska at Kearney, they actually have um, – an extracurricular group called SIFE, which stands for Students in Free Enterprise, and they actually go to contests and compete against other college kids for helping, for going hand-in-hand and helping a community create an entrepreneurial project. So they heard about us, and they asked if they could come help us, and so um, I had my 10 student members of a steering committee work with about 10 college kids for two days, which was way better than working with me, I guarantee you, especially since some of them were cute. Um, so the high school kids got, well, 7 through 12 got to work with college kids for two days, and they learned, they built a business plan. So the business plan was built by the kids. I didn't have to do it. It was built by um, the college kids coming in, and it helped the college kids. They went on and did their competition and won something in their competition based on helping us. Then we took what we had done, what the students had done, and we took it to our accountant who was volunteering her time, and she tweaked it and double-checked it and did some extra stuff and said, they're right on track. I would just think we need to plug in a little bit more money for wages. And and so uh, a phenomenal amount of the work that we have had done you know, maybe not the first person we called or maybe not our first idea, but the more PR you get, the more you think creatively, the more you compliment people and tell them you really need their help. Maybe they can't do it, but maybe they know someone who will. Affiliated Foods, you know, depending on where you are in, in the United States, Affiliated Foods is a huge um grocery warehouse they found out about our project. They came out. They are actually going to help us. They're showing us the most ordered products they're going to help us make our first order they're going to deliver it on a truck affiliated foods they don't stop unless you order ten thousand dollars of um or something like that huge number per month we can't do that so the first thing we did was we went and found a grocer and we said we we cannot be an independent grocer but could we get groceries through you absolutely because he gets a kickback the more volume he moves he's an affiliated foods it's like a co-op so the more volume he moves the better for him so if we were going to do this anyway, it's better for him to go through. It's better if we go through him. So he has helped us an immense amount. Then someone who knew someone who knew someone told the CEO of Affiliated, he sent out his top two guys to sit down and meet with the students. They're going to actually help us put together our first order. And although they don't deliver to small-town America, they helped us project what we needed for our inventory order, and they are going to deliver our first They'll only do it once, but our first order will come on a truck and they'll be delivered to our door. All that is free. All that we didn't ask for. It was just a matter that we got our story out. We asked for help. We said we wanted, we kept our intentions pure. It is for the betterment of the students. It's for the betterment of the community. It's, you know, for whatever. And and there are people out there that want to help you. Maybe it's, I'm repeating myself, but maybe it's a college kid who needs a project. Maybe it's a grad student that needs a project. Maybe it's a a lawyer who's, you know, a law student who needs to work on some legal something. But but you do need to do a business plan. You do need to do a feasibility study. You do need to 
make sure your price point, I've learned a lot about price point on groceries, you do need to do your homework, but there are people out there that will do it for free. Fantastic stuff. So the next question I want to talk to, um, we actually have a, quite a few of these that touch on government uh, engagement. Can you guys talk a little about how you've interacted with your local governments and maybe even your state or if there's any federal engagement that you've had in any of the, the work that you've done? Go ahead, Paul. Um, let's see. I think that at least in Vermont, in communities, that the leadership for these kinds of efforts um, tend to come from um, residents and local organizations as opposed to local government. Um, there are some exceptions to that, but by and large, um, it's the, um, the community um, folks that are providing the leadership for these things. They, are, they can absolutely get um, the local government engaged, state government engaged um, in terms of financial support um, at times. Um, we've had a wonderful partnership, for example, with um, our U.S. Senator Leahy, who uh, we had a village revitalization partnership um, with him, and we got um, several small earmarks uh, to provide support uh, to a variety of um, these efforts around around the state. And I think um, he would say that these are some of the things. Some of the projects that have gotten the most leverage um, have been the most exciting ones that uh, he and his staff have worked on. So you can find uh, that support and uh, that will help you a lot in the process. But in the end, the real leadership for these things comes back to folks in the community. I totally agree. We... Um Tracy Ford and I did all the legwork for that grant. It was going to be a school project that two hours before it was due, we took it to our former superintendent who knew all along that we were working on this, and he said, oh, oh, you know what? I didn't realize this is going to screw up our accounting. It's going to bring in more money. I said, well, it's going to be in out. We're going to, you know, the grant's going to come in, but we're going to utilize the money. And he said, no, I don't want to deal with it. He wasn't really very helpful and you know it looked like without his signature without the school coming on board all of our work so what paul said our work was going to go for nothing but we did need that school agency to support it and um there again i was like well you said no the wrong person so i called the the village board and i asked the mayor if he'd signed the grant paperwork and he said and he was thrilled he said absolutely if you guys are going to do something to help the town we'll sign your grant paperwork so the grant uh, actually came to the village, and then they would divvy out the money to us as we needed it. And it's kind of formed a partnership between the school and the village. So we have re we've received two federal grants. The Nebraska Economic Development um, person has come and helped a lot. You know, so they're they're we are unique. A lot of people come and say they're unique because they've never seen a school and a village board put you know put everything aside and work together so those agencies are in place and will be helpful but they will only help the driving force will come from somebody or a team of somebody's that's a critical point Stacey you need that that passionate leader that's going to drive these forward we have uh, about 15 minutes left I want to take this chance to um, to throw things over to Rebecca from the Orton Family Foundation for just a couple of comments. Rebecca, did you uh, did you want to share a couple of thoughts with us? Yeah, thanks. I just want to make a really quick announcement. Many of you on our email list have probably already received this, but the Citizens Institute on Rural Design is a program under the National Endowment for the Arts, which has really just launched in the last week or so. We've released a request for proposals and an opportunity for technical assistance for rural communities in the United States. Um, many of the topics of discussion that are coming up today are aspects of rural design, community design that could be improved by this program. So if this is something that interests you, we encourage you to get more information, take a look at our website, and the website for this program is rural-design.org. 
Um, we have some upcoming conference calls to help people get more information about that program. And again, communities under 50,000 in population are eligible to apply for technical assistance workshops, funding, and resources. Thanks. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, now, to throw back to, to Paul and Stacey, a couple of quick quick questions here. Um, a few people have been asking for resources. Um, and just a quick reminder, if you're uh, if you're on the line, if you could put yourself on mute, if there's some background noise there, just so that we can we can all hear. Um, so, question about resources. Can you guys provide any um, quick tips on where to go to get access to resources that people could pick up uh, around operating models, risk management, uh, anything like that? Are there any links that you know of, any sites that that have this kind of stuff available? And how have people promoted it in the past? Is it primarily through letters, through web, through just networking, sitting down? I would say ours primarily came through networking. Our um, Center for Rural Affairs, which is based in Nebraska, they wrote our initial grant, and they just kept, tell, you know, they are in that business. They do grants. They do community development. They are worried about rural America, and they just know people. And when they would, when they would come across anybody that had something um, that we that would impact us in any way, they'd send them our way. They are the reason Nebraska Loves Public Schools came and did that video on us. So. For uh, for I do not have any links. I don't have any, um, but I would say, Nebraska for me, Center for Rural Affairs, they in their line of work and their networking just got our story out, and then we just love to host people. We put our, um, you know, we were invited to speak at the at the Nebraska School Board Association meeting. You know, instead of us going and being front and center, we took two freshmen in high school, had them do a PowerPoint, and they knocked it out of the ballpark. They were the only here we are at a state school board meeting and they were the only students in the whole in the whole present you know, and out of all the presenters they were the only students. So you know, we're just very um we just try to put the kids and the project front and center. I don't need to be famous. I just um want to get the kids out there. And for us it people just showed up. The pe right people showed up at the right time. Stacey, I think that's a really critical point that, that we haven't actually highlighted, but you've, you've spoken about a couple of times now. The fact that at every possible opportunity, you brought the kids in and put them front and center and made this about them and the community. Um, and that it sounds like at every opportunity, you, you kind of took yourself out of the spotlight and made it about the people that this is actually for. I think is a, a really critical piece of this. Yes. I, I, I have some leadership training, and I just know that if someone doesn't like me, then they're not going to like the project. And so it's just better to – I just want to sit in the back and, and steer the ship. <laughs> That's great. Um, we have oh, a bunch of um, things on our website that I think that could be helpful. Our website is ptvermontspelledout.org. And um, one of the things that we've tried to do is to collect some of the stories about um, um, individual community-supported enterprises. I think that's probably the most useful thing to do is to just do some searching on the web and finding um, the myriad of examples out there of community-supported enterprises and try to uh, – and search out a little data on how um, those things have been put together. And I think that they will inspire, those stories will inspire you to think about how best um, um, it might work in your own community with your own efforts. Terrific. Now, we have a, we have a couple of questions here um, around crowdfunding and community banks. Um, Either uh, Paul or Stacey, is this something that, that you have particular expertise in um, that you could share some, some information about? Um, both of those are really beyond my pay grade, I'm afraid. Um, I might <laughs> say a little bit about um, uh, crowdfunding is that that well, is a potential source of uh, money to help support um, the startup of businesses. It, 
I mean, what I've seen of it is is that it tends to be relatively small amounts of money, and that you know if you have if you're going to start a restaurant and you need to um, find the space, you um, need to get by um, the equipment and fixtures and so on, you're going to be spending multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that, and so. Um, Crowdfunding could be a piece of that, but I also think you really need to look at your own community and um, find the resources, uh, the bulk of the resources in your own community. They're the ones that are going to benefit from the effort, and they're the ones that are going to be excited about your success. Yeah, I don't. I can't help with that much because we. There again, we didn't know when we started this project. We didn't know if we were going to be a cooperative. We didn't know if we were going to have investors. But as our project evolved, our, you know, accountant, lawyer inputs, um, and looked at our vision of what we wanted to accomplish, you know, not only open a grocery store, be profitable, be a learning lab for students, but also provide money back into community improvements, do another project, um, provide scholarships and whatnot. The advice that was given to us was to become a nonprofit. So then we formed a nonprofit board, did the bylaws, did all that, and the grocery store is the first project of this nonprofit. So I guess I would say, you know, we looked into Kickstarter, but nonprofits can't participate in Kickstarter. Um, after we became a new a nonprofit, my point is, look at what your goals are. If you are starting your own small business, then you will need to, you know, go through the small business loans and do things like that. But if you're really trying to develop something within your community, it might be to your benefit to form a nonprofit and have the nonprofit start the be the sponsor of the project and then when that project's up and running, start another one because for us the minute we became a nonprofit the money started flowing in much more quickly. There are people, you know, at the end of the year people are able to give us donations that are tax deductible. Um, there are foundations that are looking for we actually had a phenomenal um, grant come from the Sherwood Foundation. There again, I didn't find them. They found us. They found out we were a nonprofit. They found out what we were doing. They came out and visited, did not tell us they were thinking about giving us money, and came out and visited. And at the end of his visit, he said, you know, um, we're just so impressed, and we look for projects that not one person is benefiting. It is community collaboration, and it promotes leadership in the youth. And I said, oh, my goodness. Well, that's us. And he said, it certainly is, but it looks like you have things under control. Do you have any needs? And I said, well, our building went terribly over budget. And I said, we have a huge financial need for our inventory. I told him the number, and he said, I think we can handle that. So he went back to his board of directors. We did the paperwork, and Sherwood Foundation is sponsoring our initial inventory investment. So um, I don't know if that helps or hurts, but that's my input. I think that's terrific. I'd also just like to throw out a couple of other potential um, sites that might be of interest to people. Um, there's a DC-based organization called Fundrise.com, and the link to that is in the um, in the Google Doc. There's also another one called IOB, which is I-O-B-Y, uh, org, uh which is another crowd investment, crowdfunding platform that can enable you to, to build uh, support around particular environmental physical projects. So um, I think there's a there's a lot of interesting uh, platforms out there uh, from Kickstarter and and the like uh, to these more focused opportunities for environmental projects. So we're coming up to the the top of the hour now. What I'd like to do is just finish off uh, with a, a question of my own for both Stacey and Paul, uh, and I always like to finish these calls with something that's really actionable. So if you guys could have a think of uh, one or two things that people on the call could take after listening to all the great inspirational stuff that, that you've been talking about and, uh, and give them one or two things that they could go and do as soon as they hang up or the first thing they do when they get up tomorrow morning. Um, to go and get an initiative like this off the ground or supercharge something that they're already working on. 
Stacey, do you have a, a, a couple of tips for people to take away? I do have a couple of tips. I don't know if they'll want to hear them or not, um, because sometimes people are so excited about a project that they want to go get started on the project. And, and what I would say as I thought about this, um, what set me apart, what prepared me for this, you know, I had some networking experience, I had some business experience before I became a teacher, and at some point along the line, I don't even know who it was that told me, someone along the line said, you need to read 10 minutes a day in a success book, and that just clicked with me, and I read voraciously. I read all the time. I've got three or four or five books going all the time. I've read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've read, you know, Seven Habits of High... Actually, I teach my kids in eighth grade reading, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. And if you are going to build a project, if you're... Let me say this. If you're going to build a team, if you are going to work with people, if you're going to specifically go out and find people, I had to find an accountant because I'm not good at that. She and I do not have the same personality. So if you are going to lead a successful project and make a difference in the world, you have to become the best you you can be. Um, right now I'm reading one of the best books I've ever read. It's called Take the Stairs by Rory Vaden. And, um, you know, he just he says, he just says things like success is never owned, it's rented, and the rent is due every day. Every day we have to get up and be the best that we can be. And you just have to decide. I just at some point in my life decided I will be the person that can't be offended. Now, I don't, I don't do that perfect every day, but it really doesn't matter to me what people say about this project, about me, about whatever. I just smile, you know, it's like my, there's some movie my kids watch and it's smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. So, you know, that doesn't really help them go do something as soon as we hang up. But like Paul said, if this is going to be great, it's going to take a while. This is year four and a half for us, and we are hoping to open March 1st. We may or may not. Um, there are people hoping we don't because then that will give them something to talk about. But this is going to be a while, and it's going to be a little tiring. It's going to be a little exhausting. And, and if you're going to build a team, you're going to be dealing with lots of different personalities. So you need to become the best you you can be. You need to become the person that can't be offended, and you need to get passionate. Uh, I told the story yesterday what um, someone said, what was the best part of this whole thing? And I said, the best part of this whole thing was when Gaiman Park said no time after time after time. We took those kids, we got the yes, and at any point it would have been easy to get bitter and give up and be like, oh, yeah, they talk about rural development, but they don't mean it, and just been bitter. But we just kept going forward, and I had an eighth-grade girl. I said to her, what's the most important thing you've learned from being on this steering committee? And she looked at me for a minute, and she said, Mrs. Adamson, I learned that business is hard. And she sat there a minute, and she goes, and I also learned you never take the first no. And I thought, we can graduate you now, because somewhere along the line, someone told America that life was easy. You know, you've got the microwave, you've got the instant this, the instant that. Life is not easy. Life is hard. Business is hard. You know, you've got to kind of buck up and be tough, and you've got to be the best you you can be. So that's my speech. Fantastic. All right, Paul, what do you got for us? Um we won't be quite as inspiring as that, but uh, I just three things that I think um, would be useful for people to think about. One is to really think hard about what the need is in their community. If they're thinking that there's uh, a need for a village store or a grocery store or a bookstore or a cafe, to really... Um, do some work on that. Talk to other people. See if that's a, a dream that's um, shared by others in the community and really um, help develop um, the solution uh, for that need. Um, the second um, thing uh, is to think about, uh, spend some time um, on the web, as I suggested earlier, um, looking at other, uh, the variety of community-supported enterprises that have been started and have been successful um, around the country. Um, there's a surprising amount, a uh, surprising number of these things. And even if it's a bookstore and you're thinking about a cafe, the lessons learned from the bookstore may well be helpful to you as you do the cafe. And then the third piece is um, 
um, look for some really good business advisors that will help with the business plan because in the end um, the the community supported enterprise model is is really a funding model as opposed to an operational model and you need to have um, a good business plan you need need a business that will work and that will be sustainable over over time so I think those three things are useful to keep in mind as folks go forward. Terrific. Thanks so much, Paul. Um, so that just about wraps us up today. Uh, hopefully you found this super inspirational um, and with these last comments from our speakers, got some pretty clear go-tos for tomorrow. Uh, if you're interested, there are a bunch of great case studies and examples of CSEs down the bottom of the Google Doc. Uh, they're linked to all sorts of case studies. So if, uh, if you're looking for other examples, just check out the document and there'll be, uh, there's about 20 different options in there for you to go check out. Uh, we will be making this Google Doc available online as a PDF. Uh, if you have additional questions or answers that, that you'd like to provide, please don't feel like you need to stop editing as soon as we hang up from the call today. We'll uh, keep the document open for a couple of days so that you can continue to edit and uh, and add comments. But for now, uh, we've just hit top of the hour, so I'd like to say thank you very much to everyone that joined us on the call today, and particularly to the Orton Family Foundation and to Stacey and to Paul uh, for being such wonderful, inspirational speakers today. So uh, on behalf of everyone, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next month. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.